Hello and welcome to another episode of What Makes You Click. I'm your host, Kelvin Bullock. And on today's episode, we have a very special guest. Uh, He's an amazing celebrity and portrait and commercial photographer who has photographed the likes of people such as uh, Mr. Forrest Whitaker, Leonardo DiCaprio, Janelle Monet, Rick Ross, Kevin Hart, Kevin Bacon, uh, Kendall Jenner. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And he has a very impressive client list as well with companies such as HBO, TBS, BET, MTV, uh, Paramount, Verizon, Samsung. I mean, that list could go on and on and on. But what's even more important is the story that he has to share about his journey through photography. So let's take a listen to what makes Mr. Kareem Black click. Kareem Black, man. Hey, I appreciate you for joining me for this conversation. Um, When you agreed to take part, uh, I started thinking about the first time that I even became aware of you. And that was had to have been about 2016. I saw a um, and uh, it was like a feature on professional photographers of America. They'd done a, a story on you. And I think you even had like the cover. And it was interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One. Um, you were more than just the type of photographer that they normally would promote. Cause you know, they're big into like um, weddings and all this other stuff. And I'm like, Kareem black, I've never heard of him. And then I started reading your article and seeing all that you've done. And I'm like, yo, like he is exactly on the path that I would have felt like was where I wanted to be. So I started following you. And then uh, I don't know, maybe a few days after I started following you, I noticed that you were having a um, you were going to be doing a, a speaking engagement down in Miami. Uh, I believe it was called Industry Con. Um, and so I'm like, yo, let me let me let me go down to Miami and see this dude speak. So that's what I did, man. And you definitely delivered like I, I enjoyed that presentation. I got a chance to chat with you a little bit afterwards. And do you do you remember being down there in, in Miami? Do you? Yeah, yeah, I definitely remember that that. uh that lecture, it was run by um, Angelina, a friend of mine, Angelina. She does yeah. a bunch of stuff down there. And um, and it was sort of a seminar with photographers, but then some like entrepreneurs, some models. Some models, like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was cool. I'll get to Miami whenever I can. I know that's right. I know you gave me a very good reason to do that. So I went down there, even got a test shoot in and it was all to the good. But Let me back up because one thing that I like to do, um, the title of this podcast is what makes you click, which is kind of like a play on the what makes you tick. uh, But for photographers and I am a firm believer that we are are shaped, you know, through nature and nurture. And so I always like to start from the beginning. And I know that you're from North Philly, correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, It's uh, the neighborhood. It's called Germantown. So, I mean, North Philly is a bunch of different neighborhoods but yeah germantown so was it your your parent are you from there originally your parents from there like what yeah, uh my pa- my mom's from detroit my dad is from new york and south carolina that sort of thing they met at some conference in uh atlanta oh. like they're both um 
PhD. My mom's a doctor. My dad's a, a, a professor of political science. But they met at some like conference of like young black professionals kind of oh, thing, nice. you know, which I guess is a conference, but also like a hookup spot. You know what I'm saying? So, so they met up there and ended up uh, getting together and moved to Philly for I don't know what reason, but that's where I was. Uh, that's where I was born and grew up. And and so were you an only child or you had I have a I've got a sister. She's got something called um Asperger's syndrome. But and she's a year and a half, she's two and a half years younger than me. But um yeah, it's just the two of us and uh my mom and dad, they're still together. They live in Detroit now. Uh well, Southfield, a suburb of Detroit. So uh, I see them on holidays. You know? And then so growing up um, in Philadelphia, were you more of um, an extrovert or did you were you more to yourself? I know, you know, with a, a younger sister, I could kind of see and you say you're two years apart. So there's a little bit of a gap. So I could see you kind of going off and doing your own thing. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it, there was definitely that age gap. But with me and my sister, Christine, um, with her be uh, having Asperger's, like high functioning, she was sort of in her own world, which, you know, sometimes I think about myself as an only child. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, obviously I did have a sister, but if you have Asperger's, you are, uh, you know, that's the nature of the condition sometimes, like you're just in your own world. But um, was I extrovert? I feel like I was always just interested in these weird things I was interested in. Like I was definitely always like someone who drew and painted and definitely fell in love with skateboarding. Definitely not normal, quote unquote. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. A, I would never want to have a kid like me, <laughs> you know, because it was like, it must've been a lot for my parents just sort of bumping around and sort of trying to explore like different things, staying up late at night and painting on walls and all this sort of thing, you know. I don't know if I was an extrovert. I was just into what I was into. Mm. If I wasn't into something, I wasn't good at it. So I was like, I wasn't good at school. Like I wasn't good at a lot of school, like, except for like art classes, like except or except for like, you know, things, if I'm into it, I'm going to be real into it. Like I'll stay up days at a time to work on it, you know, but if I'm not into it, it's not going to happen. No, no, I totally feel you there. And I don't think I realized that for myself until I was a little bit older, where, you know, it's like your parents want you to do certain things and be great at certain things. But if it's not in you, I mean, it's it's not in you. And so when you're focusing on those things that you're strong in, it definitely helps you to succeed in those things. And And you talked about school. And I noticed that you went to the Philadelphia High School for the Creative Performing Arts. And I do know that... Uh, couple of uh, music icons like Boys to Men and The Roots, you know, went to that school. So how did you end up going to to that school? Basically, after eighth grade, like middle school in Philadelphia, it's probably other cities. Like you have to sort of like your middle school isn't my middle school was not connected to automatically high school. You know what I mean? So it's like you have to apply for high schools, you know, like, and there are certain high schools in Philadelphia, Central and Masterman and like, whatever. And these are like the good schools, you know, but my grades weren't even like that. So, uh, I mean, they weren't horrible, but I wasn't getting into Central. But the Creative Performing Arts School was sort of like, like, that's something that I had exhibited an interest in. Mm -hmm. And also like, and they wanted like, what is, what is your grade point average look like but also what does your portfolio look like do you have a portfolio like and so you know you end up showing your like that was the first probably portfolio that I had ever had to show in like eighth grade and it's it wasn't at that point I was a, a visual art like a you know painter sort of sketcher kind of thing I wasn't a photographer but like showing this 
got me into the school, even though my grades weren't like that amazing, you know? Yeah. So that's sort of, so it was like one of those things where it's like, you're getting like, it was, it was also considered a good school, but it wasn't considered central. You know what I mean? Like central high school is the best school. Gotcha. It was like my portfolio plus like my okay grades got me. With this portfolio, this art portfolio that you had, what was the subject matter that you found yourself drawn to or or what did you gravitate towards? I mean, at that point I was drawing comics, definitely like sequential sort of illustrated, like comic book frames, like that sort of thing. Like, cartoons of like friends of mine and so like like that sort of thing it was you know eighth grade what are you what 15 or something so like it was very 15 year old yeah 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 yeah. so so i guess when did you actually pick up the brush like when did you decide oh wait this is something that i'm interested in and i feel like i could actually do it so went to kappa which is creative and performing arts Mm -hmm. continued sort of my disinterest in a lot of basically everything. Do you know what I mean? And I met a great painter named Mr. Corey. And I feel like he was probably one of my first mentors. Nobody can understate the importance of like actual like mentors. And I think that for me, like male mentors, like somebody, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so he, I was just enamored with his work and he was a student of Caravaggio, like very realistic, sort of a harsh light and shadows and how it molded the human form and sort of spaces. So I started to basically mimic him, you know, mm-hmm. but it got me interested in like, who the, who's this Caravaggio guy, you know? And so that led me to like the old Italian masters and, and sort of that world. And, and then Mr. Corey, he introduced me to a friend of his, like this Philadelphia art scene named um, Tony Ward, which is, he's an amazing photographer in Philadelphia. He's the first real life photographer I ever met. Oh, wow. And he used to shoot a lot of really stark black and white Helmut Newton sort of stuff, which definitely means like he was definitely in that sexual Mm -hmm. uh, edge of it. So he was doing, but so he's shooting a lot for Penthouse and like that sort of thing. And so like I got introduced to Tony Ward I was assisting Tony Ward. He put me in some shots, which was interesting. Like, wow. you know, but it was like, yeah, I'm just some 17 year old kid kind of, and it's like, wow, like watching this photographer kind of direct models and like, okay, well that's the shot that happened. And now I've got a 16 by 20 print and that's what it was made. Like that was, that's what was made from the shot that I was there for. There was like wow. a magic in that. And so I, I, I think I might've surpassed your question, but like that was the evolution. Like I'm still in high school at this point and working with Tony Ward in Philadelphia. You know what I mean? I can't lie, man. Like I I hear stories like this and I'm like, man, like you like found yourself in the perfect situation where you could find a mentor like that. Uh, Growing up, I was, uh, I was an army brat. My mom was in the army and my dad uh, was a police officer still is. And we moved around quite a bit and we found ourselves like in the South, like often. And I didn't have access to these type of opportunities. I'm I'm sorry. What? Whereabouts. So, so we spent a a lot of time in Alabama, North Alabama to be exact. It's a a Huntsville is the name of the town about an hour and a half North of, of Birmingham. Um, But then we did Texas. We did North Carolina. Uh, We were in Germany for, for a little bit of time, but, 
Yeah, yeah, it was cool, but I'm like, I, I, I wasn't able to really enjoy it because I was too young. But when I hear stories like yours, where it's like you, you grew up, you had this stable home, and then you were in a town where, I mean, you had, you know, uh, New York was like an hour and some change away, and then you're in Philly, you're just centrally located. So you had access to these amazing mentors. And so uh, anytime I hear that, I just get excited because I'm like, yo, that that must have been like an amazing thing. Like you said, you're on set, you're you're helping like a for real, for real photographer. I mean, we're not talking about somebody's uncle, you know, so that was that's it was definitely I mean, yeah, I'm the luckiest guy you ever met. You know what I mean? Like, I believe it. Definitely. But at the time, like I didn't realize what this thing was, you know, it was kind of like wow, photography is kind of cool and you go in the dark room. And so like the seed was planted, but I wasn't for sure going to go to New York at this point. Mm. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, like who are we when we're in high school? Like, we don't, like I was interested in sort of skateboarding and like maybe kissing a girl possibly. Yeah, like, you know yeah. I mean, like that's sort of, so it didn't start to tie together, you know, like how, how, how these threads sort of tie together, you know, for the future. Yeah. So so let's fast forward then. Let's let's go to the point where you are about to graduate from Kappa and um, somehow in your mind you decide, OK, I want to go to the School of Visual Arts, SVA in New York. Like, how did that even come about? Was that did Tim help you kind of? Um, well, what 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 happened was um I'm going to try and make this short. Basically, my mother, when I was in high school, my entire, yeah, I th- wait, hold on, am I getting this right? Yeah, my entire high school career, she was in medical school. She was switching, she was a, at first she was a guidance counselor when I was growing up, but she switched switching careers to being a MD, a, a mm. doctor. So she just wasn't around a lot. And at the end of my sophomore year in high school, she got a job in Detroit, which was great for her because her family's out there. Da, 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 you know what I mean? And she wanted to move basically all of us out to Detroit. You know, I would finish my other half of high school. She would be with her mother, brothers and sisters. My dad would be out there. My sister would be there, like whatever. And I kicked and screamed. And somehow they, somehow, I don't know how this happened, but they allowed me to stay with a friend of the family oh, to wow. finish high school. So. I'm in high school and I'm discovering photography. I'm falling in love with it. All of a sudden my portfolio is a photography portfolio. And like my mentor, Philip Corey, the guy who was really into uh, uh, Renaissance painters, he was like, look, you have to go to SVA. Like that's the only place that you could, like you should go to SVA. You should get out of Philadelphia. I'm sitting here, like if it weren't for Philip Corey, like first, if I had moved to Detroit with my family, I probably, after I finished high school, would have moved back to Philly. Mm-hmm. I would have never gone to New because I, I would have missed all my friends in Philly, yeah. right? Yeah. But my family was like, you can stay in Philly. Okay, cool. And then Mr. Corey was like, SVA is the only place that you should go. So again, like we go back to people who know more than you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like Mr. Corey, mentor of mine, he's like, you should go to SVA. That's the best school. That's- I, don't, I don't know anything about New York. You know what I mean? But Mr. Corey said it. Okay, I want to go to SVA. That makes sense, man. Again, and it goes back to uh, you having these strong mentors in your life that are that are guiding you. And I think it's, it's it also speaks to you. Yeah, you were lucky. You you found yourself in a situation geographically where you were exposed to these opportunities. But at the same time, it sounds like you were also quite coachable. So, you know, you took the instruction and you ran with it. 
or at least you you walked quickly. Corey was saying it, and Mr. Corey was saying it, and I. And my identity back then was sort of like what Mr. Court, like he was the only person who like I could talk to really, mm. you know what I mean? Who like understood that side of me. Like if you're talking about going to New York, okay, I'll go to New York. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that part of like mentorship, a lot of people, I mean, that meant a lot to me. Like just mm. having that figure, you know, yeah. yeah, a lot of people don't have that. Kind of moving forward just a little bit more, we're talking about this thread of mentors. While you were in SVA, you came across uh, Kwaku, um, I'm sorry, Austin and Matthew Jordan Smith. And from what I've read, I believe you said that they were all about shooting what you love. So they would always kind of um, tell you guys to shoot what you love. And in college or at that point, when you were hearing that, how did you interpret it and and how did that play out in your work what were the what was it that you loved and how did it come into I mean I think that so it's like okay so Mr. Corey now we're at SCA we're discovering I'm 43 so it's like when I'm in college we're in the dark room and there's like you know fixer stop bath like all this stuff and so I'm discovering basically the technical side of photography but in my junior year i met uh matthew jordan smith who was the first real life black photographer Mm. so it was funny like tony ward the guy in philly i actually literally just found out maybe four years ago he's half black whatever like doesn't matter like all good um a thousand percent respect either way but but matthew jordan smith was like the first black photographer who like looked literally like me you know what i'm saying and like and his mentee his uh kwaku olsen kwaku olsen's mentor was matthew jordan smith so mm-hmm. i met matthew first then met kwaku who was a little bit closer to my age maybe like six seven years older yeah and then they taught a class at sva and they would say at the end of the class shoot what you love at that point it was sort of like i lo- i love sort of what i'm trying to i'm just trying to learn because like now I'm in the city of like 17 million people in the metropolitan area where all the best photographers in the world come to work. Like, I'm not even sure what I love yet. Like, <laughs> let me figure out how to do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, let me figure out how I, how I do it. So it's like, you know, everybody's got their little projects in, in college and I did mine and I'm trying to figure out what I love. I know so- I love photography. But I don't know exactly what sort of it's like. Yeah, I know I like to shoot people. Mm. I know I like to sort of, you know, that back and forth on set. But you know, now we're trying to refine it. Like, and that that refining it happens literally over the next decade. But it's sort of like what I did know is I don't like, um, like say shooting uh, still lifes or landscapes because mm. it's like you can't really interact like you can't really make you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. I don't like that little battle that little interpersonal relationship so you know it was it was a refining process for me when they were telling me to shoot what i love i was trying to uh, maybe i don't love that okay cool take that off the table kind of thing no no i totally feel that i think the, the very first time i heard something along those lines i I didn't really know how to unpack it. Like, like, what do you, what do you mean? And I'm, I'm self-taught. I did have some mentors along the way, but I didn't go to school. And, um, and so throughout the learning process, I'm like, okay, shoot what I love. 
But I think at that time, I was also still learning. I was learning photography, but I was also still learning about myself. I've always been more of a um, kind of like a a late blossomer when it comes to just about everything. So um, learning more about myself has actually helped me um, learn what it is that I actually love photographing as well. So it sounds like you were kind of figuring out the, the, the photography aspect. You were figuring out life in New York. You were figuring out all these things. And it makes sense that you would say that 10 years, you know, that there was a 10 year period after that, where it was a refining process. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that we all go through it. I, I feel like we all are always going through it. Yeah. Like I'm still going through it. It's like I said, I'm 43. It was probably, I was like 36, 37, where I was like, huh, okay, I think I know what I want to do. Like, I think I know what my style is. Like, I think I'm confident enough. Like, that's the other thing, like confidence, like real confidence in yourself. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, not like bravado and like, I did a ton of that in my career, but like, not like talking shit. Like, but it's like actual, like, you know what? I think I'm a good photographer. And I think that I can walk in a situation and figure it out, you know, and I think that that's what people are hiring me for. That's know? real. That's so, real. Yeah. Last thing on SVA. Uh, I remember when I met you, my qu- one of the questions I asked you during the break, it, it was in regards to um, going to school for photography, because again, I was self-taught and I have a couple other friends who are self-taught, but we would have these discussions about, man, do you think, it'd be different if we'd went to school for, for photography and if we like got our degrees in that. And so I asked you, and I think you said something that made perfect sense. And it was just su- such low hanging fruit that I never even. Re- I'm so curious what I said. Okay, I, so think you, I, I think I said what I'm about to say now, but. So you said it was cool. You, you, you learned, um, you know, the technicals, you know, with film and all of that, but you said if your words kind of, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, the relationships that you built with the people while you were there were what you felt were the most important thing from that school because it, it helped you um, grow and develop and also get jobs out of, you know, out of school. And it, I think you said it still was helping you get jobs. So that was what I recall you saying. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd say the same thing. The relationships are certainly important. I do think that the access to um, just facilities. Oh, yep. You did say that too. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, I mean, you have access to like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. And I think that that, you know, look, SVA or any other school, it's fucking a lot of money. So it's like, you know what, like, how are you going to make it worth it? Like I I got lucky. I, I did get a little bit of a scholarship to SVA, but I do think that if you're not taking advantage of the facilities there, then that's going to be, um, I mean, I just think you're stupid, you know? Um, but could people do it now without college? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people do, to be honest, but I do think that there's something to be said. Like if you ask, like if you talk to me, you talk to like some of my close friends, Matt Salacuse, Chad Griffith, like we're on a group text, me, Matt, Chad, they're both amazing professional photographers. We speak every day oh, wow! and we talk about, you know, who's up, who's down, where the job's at, you know, Hey, here's a contract that I just saw. Like, am I getting ripped off kind of thing? Oh, that's good. And it's like, it's those relationships. And so I feel like it goes back to something that I guess I said in the beginning where it's like the relationships, but also like learning how to talk about art, like learning how to talk about what you're doing 
I feel like those like vicious critique classes that I hated at SVA, that was helpful. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like learn how to defend your work, learn how to talk about it, learn how to sort of like tell people what you think is dope about it and sort of convince them about it. I think that, I mean, is that worth the tuition? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. You know, cause like a lot of that and you know, literally every Sunday, like, well, not recently, but a lot of Sundays, I just watch out flirt. Like, you know, flirt. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Very familiar. And it's like, you know, I'm discovering new techniques and retouching and it's completely free. So with all that said, I would say like my college experience is about 20 years ago. So take really it. Fault. you know what I mean? I don't know what they're teaching at college these days. If you can, I would, I think, I really think I'm on that side of it, right? Yeah. Like, you can, I would. If you can't, you might not need to, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Sort of where I'm at. No, that's that's good. That's good. And, uh, man, you just said a lot, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to unpack all of it. But I also read that while you were in school, you, you were taking your portfolio around. You were getting your work shown as much as possible. And then you were also working gigs in school. So what was it like once you graduated? Were you able to hit the ground running or was it a bit, a slow build to where you were actually getting, you know, some, some solid clientele that was, you know, paying the rent and then some. Right. I mean, the jobs that I was working with, that I was working in school were basically, you know, I used to be a skateboarder and I was, I was a sponsored skateboarder. Basically what that means is like, you're not a professional skateboarder, but there is uh, a, benefactor like a, a sponsor a sponsor yeah, yeah. Like giving you stuff you know so it's sponsored by this skate shop called swish that was on st mark's and they would give me like skateboards whatever da, da, da. and like i never skated in a contest but they if, if there was a contest i would represent switch but so for their advertising while i was still in college i would shoot the basically the boss's wife like and so like this is my introduction to having my images in paper magazine and all this stuff. Oh, nice. The boss's wife knew somebody that ran a magazine called Warp Japan, which was all about DJs and like live musicians. So like during college, I was going out to like live shows and shooting DJs and like all that sort of stuff. So like that's what was going on in college. None of which would, none of which I even asked for pay for do you know what i mean mm-hmm. every now and then i would get like a check from japan nice it was weird like i don't know what i like i didn't invoice whatever but when i got out of school when i was about to graduate like i understood that like you know currency and making it was important you know and i wasn't making enough of it and so i was like all right cool like what do i really know how to do mm. and like i can ass- i'm gonna try to assist photographers right? Which is a good thing. And one of the first things going out of school, but also like, I know how to I ride a bike all over New York. I know where everything is. So I'm going to be a bike messenger. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of my friends in Philly, like there's a whole bike messenger culture. You do a, like, a whole podcast on that. And long story short, I did apply to be a bike messenger. I passed the test. And that day I got a call from a friend of mine uh, that's a couple of years older than me that I met in SVA that became a creative director at Sony, uh, sorry, Columbia. It was, it was Columbia back then. And he was like, look, you know, do you want to do a test shoot for a new artist? We have his name's 50 cent. Oh, like, wow. do you wanna, 
like, do you want to shoot this? I'm like, I'm, first of all, I'm broke. I am trying to become a bike messenger. A thing that I didn't tell you is I could not, like I passed the test. I couldn't become a bike messenger because you have to have back then their pay phones and you had to have like $5 worth of quarters in order to call your dispatch. Oh, wow. Like, do you know what I mean? And like, do you have any jobs? I got, I passed the test, but I couldn't be a bike messenger because I didn't have that money to actually be a bike messenger. Like you have to invest a couple dollars in order to have the payphone change. Anyway, so I'm like, what the fuck's going to happen? And that's when my boy from Sony, like uh, Columbia called me about the 50 cent thing. And that was the first thing that happened. But again, it's sort of like what we're talking about. His name is Julian Alexander, great creative director, great designer. And he, I knew him from SVA. Like that's where we met. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like one of those, you know? So, yeah, and that's a big brother of mine also. That's another mentor of mine also. Like, great, you know, black creative director. Like, he's been all over the place. Got a uh, company named Slang Inc. now. But if you listen to hip-hop between, like, 98 and, like, 2008, you own a couple of his albums. Like, you own a couple of what he's done. So, okay, so you you just talked about that time frame that you were in, 98. 2000 ish, you know, 50 cents is coming out. I remember I was, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was, I had to have been a senior in, in high school. And, um, I know around that time there was also the, you know, the tech boom and then the bust. Like, how did that impact your work? Like, were you getting jobs like during that time? And, right. Yeah. No, I remember when that happened. So the tech boom was great for me because it swept me from, it was like a, you know, you're surfing, like this wave comes along and like you just jump on it. And when that happened, I'm getting jobs. I probably shouldn't be getting like, I'm yeah. not qualified to do this, but everybody had a bunch of money. So who gives a shit? And there's this thing, the internet and like, you know, that was very cool while it lasted, but then it, you know, it burst, the bubble burst. Fortunately for me, I was not, I was so new at that point that I had no overhead. I had no, like, I didn't really, I didn't nothing to lose. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, I was not making really any money. So now when I'm after the bus, I'm not making any money. Like I'm still, I still sort of the same thing for me. Like, you know what I mean? So I think that that hurt a lot of people. It, I was too early for it to hurt. Mm. Yeah. You know, you're getting the jobs that happens all throughout this time. Are you, are you trying to shape your career after anybody in particular, or are you just kind of like taking the jobs as they come? Was there a plan or, or are you more just going with the flow? I mean, it's Kwaku, like Kwaku Olsen. I wanted to be Kwaku Olsen. Yeah. You know, like he's a, uh, you know, I told you he's the first black photographer I ever met. I, well, I mean, he was after Matthew Jordan Smith, mm-hmm. but like he was the one that was sort of like, I stayed in touch with him kind of thing, you know, and like we related and it was like, that's what I want. And it was relatable. So at that point, like that took my career sort of like, okay, cool. 50 cent, like not the album cover test shoot, but it's like now I'm in this music world and we're talking about Source Magazine. We're talking about XXL Magazine. Like talking about theater, like this, some shooting a bunch of musicians Um, and a couple of record labels things too. Mm. But it was definitely all chasing Kwaku, basically. 
Nice. nice. Also, I mean, being inspired by it, but also like, you know, chasing it. You know what I mean? So, so it sounds like that without Kwaku, there really is no Kareem. That's, that's pretty interesting. I don't know. I don't know what it would have been like. I really don't know. Like, I really do think that everybody's sort of, there's a stage in all of our lives where we're undefined and we do need people that are like, look, that we actually respect and get along with. They're like, look, I think you should do this. Da, da, da. I've been through it before. You exhibit these strengths. This is what I think that you should do. And then if you have that relationship with them, we're like, damn, okay, cool. Like, I believe you. Like that I think is at least for, I can only speak from like a male point of view, but for like young men, or from me, like mm-hmm. I needed that. Yeah, yeah. Or it's like, got it. Like I trust you, and I want what you have, basically. You know. So that actually, when you're talking about like the the mentors, I was thinking about um, your parents again, and and even like the relationship with them, with them being academic types, and and your mom going to actual medical school. How did that play out with the career that you were chasing? Did they? did they try to pressure you into any other types of careers or were they just like, you know what? Kareem is great at this. We're just going to kind of let him do his thing. You know why I don't want to have kids? It's because. <laughs> okay. No kids. Oh, oh, here's the thing. It's like, what if I had a kid like me? Like, it's like, it's gotta be so hard to have kids. Like, because I wasn't anything like that. And I don't know if I could be as big of a person as my parents were, mm. where it's like, they're, they want to be academic. I mean, everybody, like my cousins, like my cousins went to uh, Princeton. Like, I mean, everybody's academics in my family. So, like, it's got to be real ballsy to, to let, like, hey, word, like, you want to be a photographer or, like, a painter or, like, whatever. You want to do some, like, real off-brand shit. I don't know if I could do that as a parent. Like, so my, but my parents were always super supportive, even though I don't know if they mm, – like necessarily new, you know, like it wasn't a real box, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. But also at the same time, like, I think that like my mom, she, like she's a really gifted singer and linguist and plays the piano. So I think deep down inside, she has that artist gene, but due to the time when she was coming up, like she's, there just wasn't any opportunities. Yeah. So I feel like there's that part in her that's just like, you know what, let him go, like, let him do his thing. You know what I mean? Like, I think that I might be living out a little bit of like what she wanted to do. That's, that's, that's dope. Um, Last year, it was like in December, I, um, I went to a a talk that Spike Lee was having in Baltimore. And one thing, the one thing he said, is a lot of stuff that stuck with me, but the one thing that really stuck with me, he said, you know, nothing kills a dream um, more than a parent. And so for me, I understand where my parents were coming from. Like I said, my dad, a cop, mom was in the army. They grew up in rural North Carolina, you know, working in tobacco fields, you know, growing up. And so they saw education as the way to progress. And I get that. And and honestly, they were right in a lot of ways. Like I, I have been afforded a lot of opportunities because of the education that I um, got. But I also feel like there were some missed opportunities with the creative side of the house because I was so um, caught up on trying to chase the dreams that they wanted for me um, that I was just kind of mediocre. I won't say mediocre. I was good. I wasn't great. 
You know what I'm saying? And then when I picked up a camera and and really started to see all of my other uh, traits and characteristics like awaken, it was like, oh, snap. Like, what would it have been like had I started pursuing this in high school? And so when I see your story, I'm like, that's probably one one example of how it could have went. Yeah, I was very, very lucky to, to to have them. I mean, look, on, on one side, like I was a terror as a child. <laughs> but it's sort of like, I don't know how much they could have done. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I would have, I, you know, but at the same time, like, I really do think my mom had like a secret, like, let him go. Like, let him, let's see what happens. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I was very, very lucky for that. Definitely. I hope my mom watches this. I want to just talk about a couple of quick things with your your um, career, like past school. I mean, you you really seem to had a lock on this whole idea of business and marketing yourself. I mean, I saw your um, abstract marketing campaigns where you would, um, you know, put up stickers all across the city. And of course, this was like pre social media. Um, but how did you even know to do that kind of a thing? And, and like, where are you getting your business acumen from? Because most creatives, they, they tend to be very creative, but on the business side of the house is lacking. I mean, I, I think that like on that ground floor question, like why was I doing it? Because I like, I, I needed to, I needed to get business. Of course. Like, and there was no real, like once you're in the pool, like there's no real plan B kind of thing. Like I'm not good at anything else except for this. So it's like, this got to work. Okay. So now you become like just that aggressive at like telling people who you are and what you're doing kind of thing. As far as why the abstract marketing, the sticker campaign happened, did with a friend of mine, my brother, Matt Salacuse, who I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And it started off as sort of a play on like the Basquiat, Andy Warhol, sort of their boxing, like whatever, like we piss campaigns. But like, then it was like, but it also came from, you know, I'm, I'm, I was a graffiti writer. So like, you know, in high school, I'm like on people's roofs and like lowering their property values and, <laughs> and like running from police and shit. And like, really, like, I mean, graffiti is a sort of like abstract marketing, you know, like as I've grown older, I've been appreciating it less, but you know, it's sort of like, yeah, like why not put my billboard on that wall over there? or billboard, you know what I mean? Like this sort of thing. And it's like, there's so many, you know, and then you go back into the history of like cost and revs and like all these sort of like great graffiti writers, but that weren't just doing sort of spray paint shit. They were actually like doing like wheat paste shit. So like, that's kind of where it came from. It's a billboard for me mm. that I can put on whatever. And it was before social media and it was kind of novel in that way, you know, but it was, it was very invasive and aggressive and kind of like, you're going to see my, you're going to see my sticker, you know, and you yeah. might go to my site. And that was sort of like, you know, graffiti slash sort of, yeah, it was, it was that world, you know? Did it help you get some of the bigger like campaigns or like, how did your first major campaign come about? I saw that you, your first major one was in 2005 when you had the, uh, the Verizon campaign. How did that come about? I'm not, I mean, I, I think that the, the abstract marketing was a thing. Like it was, I think it was spoken about. 
like inside the industry. And I think that that's what it was meant to do, you know? And my website was on all. So it like, um, as far as how I got my first campaign. So there, there are a couple different kinds of abstract marketing. Like you could do what we did. You could do a hundred other things. Right. Mm -hmm. But like what I would do back then, like I would just, I'd just be out. Like I'd be at the spots. Like I'd be at the industry parties and, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies was one of the stickers I put out. And it's kind of like, as far as photography is concerned, I think that the actual photography is probably about 15% of it. Yeah. Like it really, the rest of it is sort of like, can you show up on time? Can you like come in under budget? Can you market yourself? So like I did all that like sort of footwork, like I was out at the parties and like shaking hands and kissing babies and all that stuff. So my first ad campaign, it was either Verizon or it was something else, but let's say Verizon because they happened within like a month of each other. And the Verizon was a bigger one, yeah. which is why I remember, and you have probably seen it, but um, that came from a uh, amazing woman named Celeste Holt Walters, who I'm still in touch with today. Uh, and she, we would sing karaoke together sometimes and we would, and I'd been to a couple parties, but like, do you know what I mean? It's like these personal relationships. So the first ad campaign came from that. And a lot of it, it was like Woody Allen says like 90% da, 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 is just showing up. Mm. You know mm. what I mean? Like a lot of, a lot of my luck came from just being in the room. Like if you're there at the, at the industry party or whatever, or if you know somebody who's ex wife, you know what, you know, like these sort of things. So uh, that's how that happened. Yeah. You know, that whole, you know, there's this whole conversation, uh, you know, especially now, um, you know, with people of color and, and having access to certain opportunities and, and being in the room. And it, it sounds like, um, like you said, you've been like very lucky. You've had a lot of opportunities. You've made quite a few opportunities as well. Um, do you feel like you being a black photographer has impacted your opportunities? Um, I mean, you know, I think that we live in America, you know, so like, you know, race is a, is a thing. Yeah. You know, it's a factor. I think that um, I give basically everybody the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise. I think that I've been, this industry, especially in New York, like New York, I think is different than a lot of places. Has race affected it? Probably, but in both directions. So it's like, I've been like, for instance, I've been hired for jobs because I think that people think that, I would get along with the subject. And as far as I can tell, basically because I'm black. Do you know what I mean? Been there. Yeah. And you know, and I've not gotten jobs because people would be like, well, you know, it's a NASCAR thing. And like, he might not know about now. I'm a big, NAS I'm a big NASCAR fan. Well, I was, but I was a big NASCAR fan. But like a lot of people don't know. You know, like they would assume like that I wasn't, I don't know. Race is super interesting in this industry. You, we need to be in the room. I think that getting in the room is, that's the first step, but that's not the only step. Yeah. Mm. I think that I've benefited from being able, like once you're in the room, can you have a conversation? Like, you know what I mean? Like you gotta charm people in the room. So I think that since I was able to like, okay, a lot of people I grew up with weren't really listening to Metallica the way I was. So it's like, if I'm at a party and somebody says something about Metallica, like I can kind of jump in. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Somebody says something about skateboarding, like these things that aren't traditionally black. So it's sort of, I think that I've benefited from that where it's like being in the room, but also being able to have a conversation in the room. See, I I, I like how you put that. And, and it really, it places the onus on both parties because on one end, they need to accept us into the room. And on the other end, we need to be open and willing to step into the room and be, you know, charming. And, and it, it's funny. I think about the, um, I think about the the situations where I find myself in and uh, I, I prior to the pandemic, I uh, would try to make make it up to New York like once a month. And, uh, you know, I'd go and I'd go to these certain events and I'd be like, man, you know, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to receive me being like black. But then it's like I get that out of my head and then I start, you know, just talking to people. And by the end of the night, I'm not even thinking about it anymore. So on one hand, there is racism, no doubt about it. But we do also have to take steps and, um, you know, try to to stack the deck in our favor as much as possible. You know I, mean, what I'm saying? I think that that goes across like I mean, shit, like if I walk into a room full of whoever, let's say let's say I walk into a room full of black people and I have no idea what they're talking about, then I'm not going to like, do you know what I mean? I'm not That's gonna, real. That's yeah. real. Do you know what I mean? Like. I do think at the end of the day, in an ideal world, and I think that New York is a more ideal world than most places, then it is really about how you perform and can you make the other person money? Like, where that's the business brand, right? That's it. It was like, all right, cool. Like, and I think that hopefully when I'm in those rooms, it's like, look, I'm proving to you I'm cool. I'm probably going to come in under budget, like, whatever. Like, and I'm probably going to relate to the talent, whoever the fuck it is. And we're going to make money together. New York has always been ahead of a lot of places where it's like, you know what? Hire that guy because he's going to make us money. Like, I may hate the guy. <laughs> like, there, like, there's probably been a bunch of racist dudes that hired me. But as far as, like, I can make the money. Like, you, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, we I know exactly what you mean. In that yeah. way. And obviously, like, without being like, I'm just being myself. Like, it's not like on some like sellout shit or whatever. It's just like, look, do you need a photographer? I'm a dope photographer. Cool. Like I get along with it. Okay, cool. Like that's it. You know, it's, it is, uh, we're in an interesting situation now, actually black lives matter, but also me too. And you know, there are a bunch of, uh, people who are sort of, you know, black female and black female photographers or sort of like coming up through the ranks also now too, which is, which is dope. And I, yeah. I think that what I would ask and what I would hope for everyone who is a, uh, who's a beneficiary of that is just like, yo, when you get on set, be dope, like do what you do to the best that you can do it kind of thing. You know what I mean? I feel like that uh, justifies me. It's sort of like um, if there's a, if there's a black photographer that's coming up now, that has been given a look that he or she may not have had before fucking kill that shoot. Like that's amazing. Like do that exactly. because the more black photographers there are, the easier it's going to be for me. Like, I mean, it's kind of selfish, but it, I mean, but, but it's also actual, it's but real. it's for me, like the easier it's for you. Like the more sort of normal it is. Like when I was coming up, it was literally, it was like me, Matthew Kwaku and maybe like three other people. Like, wow. yeah, it was not awesome. I mean, it was, I mean, it's just not a lot, you know? So, okay. Well, let me talk about this then. So with the, 
you, you know, you, you progressed in your career. Everything was going fine. Um, you were growing. You were in your groove. 2008 hits and market crash. Every single industry is impacted. What what did that mean for you uh, at that point? And how did you deal with it and kind of overcome? Right. I was actually just thinking about this. You know, it's interesting because between, let's say, 2002 and 2008, like my career was like this, you know, and I'm and everything was fine and dandy. And, you know, I got a pension for going out and partying like, oh, you're in your 20s, kind of like all this. Yeah. And probably living outside my means. It's the first time I had like any real money kind of thing. And a lot of that was spent on dumb shit. And 2008 happens. And it, uh, sorry. Um, And it was like, all of a sudden I can't afford a bunch of shit. All of a sudden I'm not working a lot, but 2008 was a blessing because it's sort of like, it brought you back to like the, the, the nexus of it. Like, why am I here? Like, why, like, I thought I'm here because I love photography. Do you love photography, Kareem? Okay, let's do photography. Or do you love being a photographer? Or do you love being a photographer? You know what I mean? Like, going, you know, so, and I think that was going a little bit in that direction before mm. things crashed. This is a young guy and who believed what people wrote about him kind of thing. You know what I mean? And I think that that was a refocusing moment for me. and. I take it as a, as a blessing, you know, and I think I learned a lot. Like it actually makes what we're going through right now, which is probably measurably worse, <laughs> but it makes this easier. Like if I survived 2008, then I can do this hopefully. Yeah. That, you know, that, that seems to be kind of like a, a theme where you, you, you're in these kind of crazy situations where, you know, you had the bubble, then it crashed. Then you had the economy crash in 2008. Now we have this pandemic. So it's clear that you're going to be okay. Like I'm sure you'll probably have some whole other style uh, that comes out of this just because I, I believe I read that during that situation, you know, you were um, that's kind of where your, your um, feels good. Let's go kind of um, aesthetic came from. It was sort of, yeah, like, okay, I got a camera. I do go out. I do know people in these crazy situations. Why am I not photographing that? And it started to become a body of work. And then, you know, fast forward, it was, you know, a Reebok campaign, a Smirnoff campaign, and like this sort of thing. Obviously, I don't think that's an organic, like, you know, I had a great agent then that was helping me to realize that I could uh, sell that sort of thing, you know? I would have never known that, like, word, like the pictures I'm taking of my friends at parties doing crazy things could actually be like a Reebok campaign. So I, I like that because, again, there's that recurring theme of other people really showing you and the way and and, and and helping you, you know, progress. Because without that agent, like, saying that, who knows what would have happened? I mean, I, you're absolutely right. I feel like I know, I think that a strength is knowing what you don't know. Mm. And I, like, yeah, for instance, like in Matthew and Kwaku's class, I knew I, I knew that I didn't know a lot. You know what I'm saying? My failing in 2008 was thinking that I knew a lot. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so like get banged down a couple pegs 
and just just be open to sort of you know there are people who know who've been in it a long time who know more than you you know and listen to them or or not but appreciate what they're saying kind of thing you yeah. know but yeah it's it's not I feel like it's not as straightforward as there are people who are like okay you go here okay you go here you do this it's more like huh like you have a good point uh, towards what I'm doing and I'm going to take, I'm not going to take all of it, but I'm going to take these pieces. Like, yo, you gave me some really good advice, you know, be open for that. Like a lot of people are too sort of vain to not Mm. accept, you know, like even if it comes in the form of like criticism, like hard, like, yo, what you're doing right now? Like, don't do that anymore. You know, like it's not, You, you need that. Yeah. You really, you really do need it. I, I did. Absolutely. No doubt about that. One other thing that I did come across that I, I found to be very interesting was you've had a series of, of eye surgeries, right? Like you, you had some eye surgeries and for me, I'm, if, if I'm going through something like that, I'm thinking, Oh my God, I, the thing that I need most to do the thing that I love most is uh, your eyes. Yes. So right. like, how do you, how do you even cope I wish, you know what, here's the thing. I don't know who I'm going to disappoint right now, but they were, they were eye surgeries, but it's not like somebody's cutting into my, they were, I don't know if you noticed, but like I have like long eyelashes and sometimes they get like implanted in the. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, so every few years, like I have to get them cut out and it's basically like, the underside of my eyelid. So it's, it's eye surgery in the, in the way that a uh, root canal is surgery. Like, but a lot of people hit me up and it's like, Oh my God, like the, it's not like LASIK. And I, I feel like maybe I should make that clearer next time. But like the, the fucking guy, the ophthalmologist, he calls it surgery. And I'm like, and, but he, and he also does check for cancer and shit. Yeah. yeah. Because like a lot of the times, like that, whatever, I don't know. I'm not, a, I take pictures, but so there's no cancer, but it's not the surgery that I think a lot of people are thinking. It's basically just like weird shit because of my eyelashes and like it makes it like a sty and like all this shit. And you just have to get it like opened up and cut out. So, but the, I think for me, anytime somebody has got to do something where they going in and they cutting and they doing whatever, like, you know, somebody might've had a a bad night and now I done slipped and you know what I'm saying? So there's still that element of, wow, like this could go left and it'll be I mean, if you see the styes that I get, like you would rather have the eye surgery. Cause it's like, I always tell people that I'm like, I'm not a good enough photographer to look weird. Like you know, I feel you. I feel you. You know what I'm saying? Like I can't have this thing. Like cut it out, please. You know. So that's sort of where I'm at. Like I gotta be. If I'm at the party, I gotta be able to charm people. And you can't really, you know, your eye looks weird. So yeah, a lot of people hit me up about that, and it's it's not that serious. Maybe I should word it different next time. No, like I said, I'm 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 keeping I'm keeping it in. I feel like that's definitely something that is important and um it still shapes who you are, you know, even as an as an artist and your experiences. Last thing, the very last thing, I read a quote um that you you actually said this and it it I think it speaks to the power of the camera. And and I'm just going to read this really quickly. It says, I live for unique experiences. I love life. I want to see as much of the world as I can before I die. Photography helps me do this 
and is a means of recording, documenting and instigating these adventures. And that part where you were like instigating the adventures that resonates with me on like so many different levels, because when I think about how this little black box with a mirror in it and some other mechanics has, you know, allowed me to to travel internationally and I'm looking at sunsets in London and then, you know, I'm in Costa Rica and I'm in Toronto. and I'm like, yo, I'm only here because of this camera, man. Like, it's crazy. I actually am really feeling my own words. But um, instigating, I think that, you know, the interesting thing about photography is that if you are, if you're taking pictures, you're taking pictures of someone, let's say, and they have agreed to be there and somewhere they, they probably want to be like, they probably want it, you know? And I think that a lot of photography is that positive reinforcement and it's like they're feeling good, but you're making them feel good so you can get what you want out of them. Yep. And so you're sort of, that happens almost on every shoot. You are in, you are making it happen, but you're, I think that the greatest photographers make the subject feel like they're making it happen, but you're really instigating it. You know what I mean? Inception. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're having, like you're the one with the camera, but when like, so you're behind the camera, but the person that you're shooting sees a lens and it's like, I feel like there's something really romantic for these people and it plays on their ego. You are making them do stuff. They don't know that they're doing stuff, but you're flattering them. Like even if you're not saying anything and nobody's immune to flattery. And I think that that's sort of all the shit that I said, like capturing life and moments and sort of like, absolutely. But the instigation, like that's sort of the mental thing that I'm super attracted to. I know that I'm making you do stuff. I think that 90% you don't know that I'm making you do stuff, but I think that 10% you know and you like it. You know what I mean? Like it's an interesting game that we play with this little box with some glass and some like, you know, and it's, it's an interesting psychological game that we play and I really enjoy it. Well, Kareem, hey man, I appreciate your time. This was a, this was a dope conversation and I'm, I'm kind of, um, <laughs> As a little confession, when we were in Miami and uh, I told you, I'm like, yeah, I'm in New York quite often because I live in the D.C. area and I travel up there. And he was like, yeah, you know, hit me up sometime. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm never going to hit this guy up because I've seen the feels good. Let's go. I've seen the gently used rooms. I'm thinking if I hang with this guy, I'll either end up deathly sick or die. But uh <laughs> But no, I, I appreciate you for taking the time. And uh, when this is all over, I definitely want to have a drink with you, man. Like We, we gotta... could safely hang out. Like those days are pretty much behind me. Like I feel like, Doug, if you're in New York or if I'm in D.C., like let's let's hook up. Let's have a drink. That'd be cool. All right. That is the show. And I hope that you enjoyed my chat with Kareem Black. As a reminder, if you go to the website, whatmakesyouclick.com and find this episode, you will be able to access the show notes and any useful links that were mentioned so that you can continue your learning process. As always, uh, feel free to like and comment on the Instagram and Facebook posts. You can follow us there as well at What Makes You Click. And if you enjoyed this episode, please uh, rate and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.